0: Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. Last month, we heard from endocrinologist Dr. Navinder Jassel about diabetes, how to diagnose, treat, and even prevent it. This month, Rasa Kay talks with interventional cardiologist Dr. Courtney Craithin about taking charge of your heart health. Here's Rasa Kay. Hi, I'm Rasa Kay, and I'm talking with Dr. Courtney Grayson. She's an interventional cardiologist at Deborah Heart and Lung Center, one of the hands-on experts in the cath lab who can open an artery during a heart attack and help prevent an attack by diagnosing and treating vascular and coronary artery disease, structural heart disease, and congenital heart defects. But we're here to discuss how prevention is a two-way street, how you, the patient, can take charge of your heart health. Heart disease. Sometimes you've just had the luck of the draw in terms of DNA or heredity or something, but other times heart disease does have a cause. So what are the statistics about the prevalence of heart disease and and how does it break down?
1: Heart disease is definitely one of the leading causes of death, you know, in our western world but also worldwide, and certainly there's a genetic component that we know about. There are also modifiable risk factors that are very well-known, well-documented. Hypertension, cholesterol, diabetes, cigarette smoking, and those are what your, your primary care physician should touch on. You should know about at home, and then your cardiologist should double-check when you see them in the office. But the prevalence of heart disease, I think, is under-detected uh, for sure, and it really starts at home with the patient. You have to be an advocate for yourself in order to get in with your primary to have your primary refer you to a cardiologist and to really, you know, get these things looked at on a biannual basis. Difference between men and women when it comes to heart disease. There's a huge difference between men and women. Um I think the first difference that we can touch upon is the fact that you know their symptoms are going to present differently. And also, just how you how you perceive yourself as a person is going to be different. A male might kind of hold their symptoms in. They're working out in the yard. They may have chest pain. They may have shortness of breath that's new, and they're not necessarily going to tell anybody about that. They're going to you know kind of internalize it and not bring it up in the doctor's office. Whereas females, while their their symptoms may be atypical, not necessarily the left sided crushing chest pain, they may have nausea. They may have um, you know excessive burping. They may have headaches. They may have abdominal pain. And later on, we found, hey, find out, hey, that was, you know, referred pain from your heart. So I think, you know, genetically certainly we have differences, but I think how heart disease presents in men and women is very different as well.
0: Do these symptoms come and go, or or do you need to be only concerned when it seems to be ongoing?
1: I think a little bit of both, if if I will. Um, if your symptoms come and they don't go away, you certainly should. You seek medical attention right away because that could be a heart attack. But I think more so where we get our bang for our buck, so to speak, is if you have somebody that has intermittent symptoms when they exert themselves, when they're in a stressful situation, not necessarily you know, the crushing chest pain that comes and doesn't go away, but if you're noticing symptoms intermittently, that should be a huge clue and kind of a wake-up sign that you need to get checked out by a physician. I think it's really important to listen to your body.
0: What's the duration of a heart attack?
1: That's a difficult question. <laughs> the duration of a heart attack, I mean, if, if you're having crushing left-sided chest pain, you should really go to the nearest emergency room immediately. The duration of a heart attack, it's hard to answer that question. Usually, as soon as we identify somebody has a heart attack or a blocked heart vessel, we get them up to the lab. we like to do that within 90 minutes from when we identify they're having a heart attack. Time is myocardium, so the longer you go, without getting a heart attack diagnosed, the more of your heart muscle is in jeopardy, basically. Post heart attack care can, can be up to you know a month to 45 days. But while you're having a heart attack, we really like to identify that and treat it within 90 minutes. So it's moments to
0: hours to not likely days though.
1: Not days. Right. If somebody's having a massive heart attack, they're they're likely not gonna make it to days without seeking medical attention.
0: So other signs that something's wrong with my ticker?
1: If you're having palpitations, that's another common one that we gets us in the game if, if the heart rhythm is off. And oftentimes we hear about rhythm abnormalities like atrial fibrillation, and the reason we really hone in on that is it can be a risk factor for having a stroke. But atrial fibrillation can also be an identification that you're having a heart attack. Um, Other things, lightheadedness or dizziness, passing out, all of these can have a cardiovascular etiology and need to be further worked up.
0: Any new signs in recent years, stuff that you might not realize is a heart indicator?
1: I think in recent years, we've had a lot of people come forward with some atypical symptoms like we touched on in the past, you know, abdominal pain. They're having pain uh, in their jaw. You know, they're having kind of ringing in their ears or really shortness of breath too. I mean, in the past people would be short of breath and we really wouldn't work them up from a cardiovascular standpoint. And now we're finding that patients that are short of breath, we we get an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of your heart and they've had an old MI in the past. So, So we're finding a lot more uh, now that patients are actually listening to their bodies and coming forward with their symptoms more okay. readily.
0: But, but if I've got ringing in my ears, the last thing I'm going to be thinking about is, is a heart issue or even a stomach ache. I would think, you know, gastroenterologist for a specialist, if that. How could a
1: heart issue cause ringing in your ears or, you know, abdominal discomfort? Right. It's pretty unusual for, you know, to present with the the tinnitus, the ringing in the ears, but abdominal pain is certainly can be referred from a heart standpoint. Our bodies are incredible machines that have the ability to hide. Basically, all of our organs have the ability to hide what's going on with themselves by compensating in other ways. So, you know, the nervous system inside of our body is so connected that uh, our heart nervous system is actually closely entwined with our abdominal nervous system, specifically our stomach. So oftentimes patients that are having um, a heart attack in the bottom of their heart can present with nausea, vomiting, um, certainly not for days and weeks on end, but if this is something that occurs suddenly, you really should, you know, seek medical attention immediately. How is it that Other heart
0: symptoms go undetected. I mean, for example, atrial fibrillation or palpitations, I mean, sometimes heart rhythm issues, you just don't notice them, but they might cause other symptoms that would then raise a red flag.
1: Right, atrial fibrillation specifically, I mean, you know, 50% of the population don't feel palpitations. They don't feel their heart racing and you get an EKG or check their pulse and they're well over 100 beats per minute. Other symptoms that kind of clue us in, if patients are short of breath, Um, If they're passing out, sometimes, unfortunately, they present with having a stroke and then we look back and they are in atrial fibrillation. But I would say the biggest one for, for AFib would be shortness of breath. That's unexplained by other causes, of course. Has the COVID pandemic illuminated heart issues in any new ways? I think the COVID pandemic has not necessarily illuminated heart conditions or diagnosing heart disease but it's made people more aware of their symptoms and I think now compared to 2020 people are reaching out to their healthcare providers they're getting themselves looked at they're not waiting they're not chalking it up to a cold or something else they're getting in to see their primary care physician they're getting an EKG they're getting referred to cardiologist offices we're getting echoes on them we're doing the stress testing Um, we're looking that extra you know mile in people and I think you know it's helped us diagnose more heart disease because people are you know reaching out sooner than they would in the past obviously our healthcare system is being taxed by coronavirus and it's a big problem i wouldn't wait if you think something is wrong with your heart though i will tell you that time is heart muscle so if you think something's wrong with your heart finding out sooner rather than later is essential so i i would urge people not to kind of wait it out, not to wait at home. If your symptoms are real and you don't feel like you normally do, you need to reach out and get things looked at.
0: For For the people who did kind of sit home and wait stuff mm-hmm. out during different phases of this pandemic, mm-hmm. and there becomes this cumulative effect of disease, are you playing a lot of catch up now?
1: We are. We're playing a lot of catch up. We're seeing a lot of irreversible disease. We're seeing a lot of uh, heart failure, uh, heart muscle that's been lost. Um, so we're seeing patients that basically had a heart attack at home and, and stayed home for their heart attack. Um, so those things are kind of in the past. I mean, there's nothing we can kind of go back and, and do about that, but we've been playing catch-up moving forward. And like I said, the advances in current cardiology, they've they've been excellent. I think we've been given... We've given people a lot of hope that in the past may not have had a lot of hope in terms of heart failure and advanced heart disease, but um, I'd always like to catch it early, then play catch up.
0: And has there been anything you're seeing as a post-COVID impact to hearts?
1: I don't think we have a clear answer for that as a, as a cardiology community, even as a healthcare community. Uh, we're not sure of the long-term effects of coronavirus. We're actively, you know, studying patients post COVID. We're getting serial echoes on some patients to kind of see if their symptoms are correlating with any change in their ultrasound of their heart. But um, we don't have a great answer for that yet, unfortunately. Is there yeah. any
0: disease more studied than
1: COVID in the yeah. history of medicine? I, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> you know, and is there any disease that's, that changes more quickly than COVID either? So it's that's kind of a roadblock for us. But, you know, I think we're going to learn a lot over the next several years about, you know, post-COVID, the, the post-COVID era, and specifically, you know, the cardiology aspect, pulmonary aspect as well, but the cardiology aspect, I think, is going to be very interesting over the next couple of years.
0: With the vaccine and the infinitesimal possibility of myocarditis in young people, mm-hmm. it's still very dramatic, scary terminology. The idea that a young person could suddenly have a heart issue just by getting vaccinated, how does that work?
1: Right, so that's a, a hot topic lately. Patients come in, they, they kind of want to be have an echo to rule out myocarditis either after the vaccine or after active infection with coronavirus. Myocarditis is a very scary word. It basically means inflammation of the heart muscle. You know, it's pretty difficult to detect. Usually patients that have had myocarditis present subacutely and kind of goes under the radar. You really can't detect it on an EKG or even an echocardiogram in most times. Inflammation of the heart muscle you know, can present with ongoing chest pain. If you're having positional chest pain that's different when you kind of sit forward or move your torso around. As a cardiology subspecialty, we really don't know how this is gonna play out years from now. So I would say, listen to your body. If you notice that something's not right with you, always present, there can always be further testing that we can do to identify these things, but you know i think it's a very hot topic right now and uh, it's something that we have to stay tuned for because if we do find post vaccine we're, we're having more and more cases of myocarditis it's something that we have to pay more attention to factors that people
0: should consider when they're weighing their own risk for heart disease
1: right first take a look at your family if you have family members specifically first degree family members mother or father who had early coronary artery disease meaning blockages that were found before the age of 55, this is probably the strongest risk factor. And if you have this in your family, you should be seen by a cardiologist for a thorough history and physical. You should have an EKG performed and the conversation should be had as to whether a baseline stress test on the treadmill should be done for you because this is the strongest risk factor. What kind of age are we talking about to have this done? If you're younger than 35, I mean, the risk of having a massive heart attack at that age is is low. It's not zero, but it's low. Um, But if you're 35 to 50, that's the range where we really should get you in for fasting labs, you should get an EKG, you should, be ta- you should talk to a cardiologist about you know your day-to-day life and be referred for a treadmill stress test as a screen for coronary disease. I think you know a lot of times patients who don't have a strong family history, maybe you've been a non-smoker your whole life and you really don't have a lot to talk about with a doctor, it's hard to make that initial phone call. It's hard to say, hey, can you just check me out? Um, but there's a big importance to checking um, your labs in a fasting state, at least initially when you meet a practitioner. And what that means is getting your cholesterol checked, checking your hemoglobin A1c, which is a three-month average of your blood sugar, um, You know, getting a once-through of your electrolytes and your kidney function, and kind of cluing you in as if there's something that needs to be trended or if you're in a normal range and you need to continue what you're doing at home, or if you're borderline and you need to change your lifestyle and revisit the labs in six months. And that can kind of get you in the game. Um, You know, getting fasting labs, getting a baseline EKG, which is an electrical picture of your heart, you know, starting at an early age in your 30s, I think this is so important. And just talking with the doctor about your lifestyle habits, because some things that you may not think are uh, modifiable are modifiable.
0: That was interventional cardiologist Dr. Courtney Craithin at Deborah Heart and Lung Center. We'll pick up on this discussion of treating the whole patient, maintaining your heart health in our next podcast. It drops the first Wednesday of the month. I'm Rosa Kay. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at
1: DemandDebora.org.